0: Chapter 58 She Who Disputes Al-Mujadila In the Name of God, the Most Compassionate, the Most Merciful The name of this chapter is derived from its first verse. The preliminary verses were revealed about a year before the Prophet's death in order to resolve a married couple's quarrel. In a mujadila mutual dispute, each side tries to overpower and weaken the other side's resolve. The frequency of the word God in this chapter, like chapter talaq, is significantly higher relative to others, for its 22 verses mention God 38 times. In other words, it is used once every 12 words. Both chapters appear to be warning the believers to remember God. For doing so, during times of war and jihad, as well as spousal disputes and divorce, is very challenging indeed. The chapter opens by discussing an argument between spouses and then addresses the gossip and whisperings of others. The chapter continues by discussing the leader's abuse of power and those who seek to establish a rapport with the authorities and high-ranking official. The last facet is establishing relationships with hostile outsiders. God has heard the words of the woman who disputed with you, O Prophet, about her husband and complained to God. God hears your conversation, for he is all-hearing, all-seeing. What was the quarrel about? It was about a kind of divorce that was prevalent before Islam and known as zihar. If a man were to say to his wife in anger, you are to me as my mother's back, the wife would become forbidden for him because it would have been considered incestuous. However, the wife would not be considered divorced but instead held in limbo, neither officially wed nor able to marry another man. Before Islam, this was considered a form of punishment. As a result of this short phrase declared in anger, the wife and her children's life would suddenly become miserable. A woman who was divorced in this manner had come to the prophet to complain. God responds to such irresponsible men by revealing the next verse. Those who say to their wives that you are to me as my mother's back cannot be their mothers, for only those who gave them birth can be their mothers. What they say is certainly blameworthy and false, but God is pardoning and forgiving. Your wife does not become your mother just by your saying so. The verse context emphasizes to stress the ridiculousness of this abusive, victimizing, and thus unjust statement. Nonetheless, God forgives the sin committed by such men because this new law does not apply retroactively. Those men who make such a declaration and then go back on what they have said must free a slave before the couple may resume sexual relations again. This is what you are admonished to do. And God is fully aware of what you do. This is the punishment for causing one's wife such deep anxiety and psychological trauma. Freeing a slave was a hefty price to pay for a man who wanted to return to the former status quo. God is aware of the minutest details of our actions. The slightest sign of a cold shoulder. A hurtful phrase and an indifferent look. He witnesses them all. Islam's view of slavery needs to be addressed here and the importance of freeing slaves and encouraging Muslims to do so in many ways. Islam clearly states that if you take an oath in vain, do something prohibited during Hajj, or are guilty of certain kinds of manslaughter, then you, have to free a slave. Furthermore, Islam commands Muslims to host and nurture their slaves and captives in their own homes and among their own families. It also states that a contract should be concluded with slaves for their release and that they are to be bought and freed via public funds. Therefore, Islam sought to abolish this practice gradually, because its overnight termination would have been imprudent and bound to fail. However, any man who does not have the means must fast continuously for two months before resuming sexual relations. If he is unable to do this, he must feed 60 needy people. This is so you may truly have faith in God And his messenger. These are the bounds set by God. A painful punishment awaits the unbelievers. Note that the offender cannot pick the more convenient punishment, for the verse prioritizes these based upon one's present condition, financial capacity, and physical ability. In any case, even a wrong and hurtful comment can be punished so that it will not be repeated. The verse says that this punishment is designed to instill faith in God and his Prophet. Given that the Muslims were already faithful, it stresses that one's verbal profession of faith must be backed up by deeds. One cannot profess to be faithful and simultaneously say something that breaks another person's heart or potentially tears a family apart. Although this may seem like a disproportionately harsh punishment, God has not proclaimed this for His own sake or for disregarding one's prayers. But to defend the rights of women and families and to stop a husband from mistreating his wife. These are the bounds set by God. Again, it is noteworthy that these bounds and rules regulate intra-believer relationships. Some of them may think that believers only have to care about their relationship with God, and so how they treat others is unimportant. The verse goes on to relate that a painful punishment awaits the unbelievers. In this context, unbelievers are those Muslims who have transgressed these bounds. Those who opposed God and His Messenger shall be brought low, as were those before them. Surely we have sent down clear signs and the disbelievers shall have a humiliating punishment. Husbands who violate their wives' rights in such a way are opposing God, as if they want to fight Him, and will be demeaned and disgraced. Such degradation and humiliation is the punishment for those who want to violate your obvious rights. Societies that transgressed God's bounds were ultimately debased. Respect for the family's sanctity is incumbent upon everyone, and ignoring it will cause the order inherent in nature to react. Thus, debasement here does not mean that God will send down an immediate punishment but the very laws God has imposed on the nature of human societies will cause such societies to falter and ultimately collapse. Surely, we have sent down clear signs, a reference to these clear rules, and the disbelievers shall have a humiliating punishment. Any husband who subjects his wife to such undue harassment and violation of her rights is driven by his own male ego and pride. As such, the most appropriate punishment for him is humiliation and debasement. On the day when God will raise them all together and inform them of what they did. God has kept account of it while they forgot it, for God is witness over all things. The day will come when the truth of all that we have done will be revealed. The passage of time may result in everyone, but not God, forgetting our words and deeds. This concludes the chapter's first part about the family, as the society's most basic and foundational unit. While zihar may not exist anymore, the threat it posed has taken new forms. The many prevailing traditions that are clearly antithetical to Islam attest to the fact that when such a harmful custom takes root in a society, regardless of its religion, it is still affected by the culture of ignorance. Are you not aware that God knows everything in the heavens and earth? There is no secret conversation among three people where he is not the fourth, nor among five where he is not the sixth, nor among less or more than that without him being with them wherever they may be. On the day of resurrection he will inform them what they have done, for God truly has full knowledge of everything. The second of the five issues discussed here is that of gossiping and establishing private relations with the center of power in a society in which everyone is supposed to enjoy equal standing. The first issue was related to interpersonal disputes and the selfishness that may arise therefrom. The second was wider in scope and pertained to society as a whole. What would it mean if two people were to whisper among themselves? What are the possible implications of excluding others from their conversation? Would doing so not be an insult to their brothers and sisters in faith? God is always present and witnesses all things. So do not think no one heard your whisperings. Of course, these metaphors are meant to inform people that they cannot conceal anything from God. For He will question us about this and our distrust of others. Such secrecy and cover-ups indicate that the person does not trust others and sees them as strangers. Have you not seen how those who have been forbidden to hold secret conversations begin to do so again later on and conspire with one another in what is sinful, transgression and disobedience to the messenger? When they come up to you, O Prophet, they greet you with words that even God has never used to greet you and say to themselves, Why does God not punish us for what we say? Hell will be punishment enough for them. They will burn there, an evil destination. They continue to speak with each other in private, despite being told not to do so. Three reasons are given for this prohibition. First, selfishness and preserving personal interests by withholding information. For instance, they want to buy something but try to prevent others from obtaining the same benefit. This type of greed plagues some people. Second, transgression and violating other people's rights. They whisper because they want to somehow harm another person and thus want to keep their words hidden. This type of selfishness is worse than the previous one. And third, disobeying the society's just leader, the prophet, is a socio-political issue as well as a wrong and treacherous action that affects that society's fate. The verse goes on to say that when such people approach the Prophet, they utter such flattery, display such subservience, and feign such loyalty that they even exceed God's proclamation of His own high regard for Him. They disobey Him when He is absent, but obey Him when He is present. They make light of this and say that nothing has happened to them. They surmise from this that he is not a prophet, for if he were, surely God would have punished them by now. These untruthful and two-faced hypocrites will ultimately meet an unwelcome fate. O oh, you who believe! When you converse in secret, do so in a way that is not sinful, hostile and disobedient to the messenger, but in a way that is good And mindful of God be mindful of God to whom you will all be gathered in other words private conversations should be limited to trying to help someone while ensuring that his or her reputation remains intact for instance a person who is privy to a married couples dispute may privately disclose it to someone who can resolve their dispute but not divulge it to anyone else. What is important here is the intent, for such a private conversation should not be used to promote self-interest, but only to serve and help others. Believers should always be mindful of God and remember that one day they will be held accountable for their deeds. Any other kind of secret conversation is the work of Satan, and thus designed to cause trouble to the believers, although it cannot harm them in the least unless God permits it. So, let the believers put their trust in God. Speaking privately, within a group of like-minded believers is Satanic causes resentment among those not included, and raises doubt about their bond and level of mutual trust and confidence. Speaking privately may seem like an ordinary thing to many of us, but it causes a great deal of discord and acrimony in society. The Quran expressly warns against such an activity. The verse also mentions that these private conversations are harmless unless God wills otherwise, which is a reference to the laws and mechanisms that govern everything. In such cases, believers are to put their trust in God. The first issue was the relationship between two individuals. The second was the relationship between several individuals, and the third concerns groups and communities. O you who believe, when you are told, make room for one another in assemblies, then do so. God will make way for you in the hereafter. When you are told, rise up, then do so. God will raise to high ranks those who believe and those who are endowed with knowledge. God is well aware of all that you do. At times, those who were in the Prophet's presence would sit in such a way that they took up a lot of room, which would naturally prevent others from joining the group. A number of people who wanted to listen or ask him questions would have to stand outside, which made them frustrated and uncomfortable. Thus, members of the first group are told to sit properly and conduct themselves with decorum, in return for which they will receive an opening from God. Those who forego their selfishness and transcend their baser needs and desires will find their view of others and the world expanded and their personality and character enriched, both of which will lead to them achieving a better state in this world and the next. The next verse approaches private conversations from a different angle and addresses the fourth issue. Those who do whatever it takes to show they are close to the centers of power in order to gain prestige and prove to the public that they possess some degree of influence and credibility. O you who believe, when you come to speak privately with the messenger, spend something in charity before talking with him, for that is better for you and purer. If you do not have the means, God is most forgiving and merciful. Doing so will prevent the leader's time from being wasted, and other people from abusing this privilege. Moreover, you will have done a good deed that is also pure, for it will decrease your own selfishness. If you have nothing to give in charity, God is forgiving and merciful. In other words, this is no more than a control mechanism designed to prevent anyone, at any time, from talking privately with the Prophet on a whim. Of course, the verse does not forbid this, but such a mechanism certainly discouraged those who were unwilling to spend anything in charity. Are you afraid of spending in charity before your private conversation with Him? If so, when you do not give it and God has forgiven you, then at least establish prayer. Pay the prescribed alms and obey God and his messenger. God is well aware of your actions. God knows that you wanted to converse privately with the prophet to display your close relations with him, and thereby deceive others. This is just another type of selfishness, but one with a different form. The issues discussed in this chapter gradually become more complex, important, And nuanced have you not seen those who have taken as patrons those with whom God is angry they are neither with you nor with them and knowingly swear to lies the fifth issue has an even wider scope and relates to maintaining good relations with belligerent non-believers This type of selfishness seeks to maintain relationships with both camps just in case the unbelievers defeat the believers. Such people seek only their own personal interests. God has prepared a severe torment for them, for what they have been doing is truly evil. They have used their oaths to cover up their false deeds, and barred others from the path of God. A humiliating torment awaits them. They falsely swear an oath of fealty as well as declare themselves believers and supporters of your cause. Islam considers those who declare that there is only one God and that Muhammad is his messenger to be Muslim and forbids anyone from calling them disbelievers or hypocrites. As such, all converts are entitled to benefit from all that an Islamic society may offer. That is how hypocrites hide behind this shield. Neither their wealth nor their children will be of any use to them against God. They will be the inhabitants of hell where they will remain. This verse reminds people that property and children, which at that time were considered symbols of power, do not obviate the necessity of being moral and doing what is right. Having power and wealth does not fulfill all of a person's needs. On the day when God raises them all from the dead, They will swear before him as they swear before you and think that they have something to stand upon. Behold, they are complete liars. For Satan has gained control of them and made them forget God. They are Satan's party. Surely Satan's party will be the loser's. Those who oppose God and his messenger will be among the most humiliated. This is not a reference to war or armed battle, but to opposition and psychological battle. For God has decreed, Surely, I and my messengers will prevail. Indeed, God is all-powerful and almighty. God's law proclaims that He and His messengers will surely gain the upper hand, for He is powerful and almighty. This natural law, that truth will ultimately overcome falsehood, permeates every corner of His creation. People may feel that they have gained something by deception, but their ultimate fate is to be debased and humiliated. The last verse continues to address the fifth type of selfishness, hypocritical relationships with disbelievers and treachery toward believers. This may be a result of the other egoisms mentioned above. Perhaps that is why the Quran addresses the Prophet and believers in general in the next verse. O Prophet, You will not find people who truly believe in God and the last day loving those who oppose God and His messenger, even though they may be their fathers, sons, brothers or other relations. These are the people in whose hearts God has inscribed faith and whom He has strengthened with His Spirit. He will let them enter gardens graced with flowing streams. Where they will stay. God is well pleased with them and they with Him. They are on God's side, and God's side will be the one to prosper. The verse uses the present tense of believe to underline the fact that paying lip service to faith does not make one a believer. Rather, a real believer's life must be imbued with faith in God and the hereafter. If you love someone, you will naturally befriend those who share that love. When two armies are facing each other, familial relationships cannot come into play because the only priority here is defending truth against falsehood. If the choice is between God and His path, and the false path followed by one's family, Each true believer should not hesitate to choose the first option because sacrificing divine values and the truth for emotions and familial ties is never an option. Believers do not have superficial faith. It is inscribed or hardwired into their very being. Their spirit is godly and God verifies their faith. They are also promised gardens in which rivers will roll beneath them, which are metaphorical and consistent with the understanding of the addressees at the time. The verse also mentions the party of God, Hezbollah, which is diametrically opposed to the party of Satan. A member of this party is one who has attained awareness of God and the truth, based on knowledge and insights. The party of God only values the truth and that which is right, even if doing so harms their own family, and will never sacrifice the truth for personal, familial or group interest and gain. Sadly, this particular phrase has been usurped in our own time, for political purposes, and the activities of those who use it have negatively affected the majestic feeling it should evoke in people.